You're listening to Mesa Verde Voices, a podcast connecting modern people to those who lived in the Mesa Verde region hundreds of years ago. And I'm your host, Kayla Woodward. In the previous episode, we learned all about Mesa Verde National Park's designation as the 100th International Dark Sky Park. We also learned that this designation does more than just preserve the natural beauty of the Earth's dark night skies, which, yes, is a very important resource to preserve in and of itself, but this designation also preserves the deep cultural connection that humans have had with the cosmos and all the elements of the skyscape since essentially the beginning of human consciousness. In the ancestral Pueblo people, as well as other indigenous ancestors who call the Mesa Verde region home, are no exception to this. Today, we're going to dive into just one facet of the endless expanse of the universe that we have this strong connection to. And, well, it's a pretty big one. Well, the sun, of course, is the brightest object in the skyscape, in the sky. This is Dr. Ellingson. Hi, I'm Erica Ellingson. I'm a professor in the Department of Astrophysical and Planetary Sciences at the University of Colorado. And along with galaxies, cosmology, and the Big Bang, I'm very interested in the history of astronomy and how people from all over the world over all time have looked at the sky and what they've been thinking about the sky. You may have heard the term archaeoastronomy before, and it's used to describe the study of how past peoples have observed and documented their experiences with the sky. But the term archaeoastronomy sometimes gets a bad rap, in part because it's become associated with assigning meaning to petroglyphs, pictographs, and potential alignments within archaeological sites, which is very challenging, if not impossible, to do especially when so many of these sites in the Southwest have been stabilized and reconstructed by people of European descent. But Dr. Ellingson tends to see this study in a different context. Archaeoastronomy is a really broad term. It brings in the idea of astronomy or looking at the sky, looking at the stars, the sun and the moon and the planet, with the idea of archaeology or you could even say anthropology, the study of how humans do relate to these things we see in the sky But I think one way of thinking about this topic is um, really like a type of archaeology in many ways. We can think of archaeology, one aspect of it, as thinking about how people live in their landscape, how they relate to their environment, the earth, the things around them. The sky is just another part of their environment. In fact, it's the other half of their environment that perhaps nowadays we don't tend to think about as much. We tend to keep it sort of separate from when we think about the environment, our landscape. But really, what we see in the sky is the skyscape. So one of the ways you could think of archaeoastronomy is simply to rename it altogether and call it skyscapes or skyscape archaeology. And when you think about it that way, it is just a really integral part of anthropology and archaeology. It's taking uh, taking count of this very important aspect of our lives, what's going on with the sky, and how people relate to it, what they think about it, and how it affects how they live. And as Dr. Ellingson said... Well, the sun, of course, is the brightest object in the skyscape, in the sky, and it regulates so many of our activities, the day and night cycle, but also the yearly cycle, the cycle that drives weathers and the seasons. And so anyone who lives in the world under the sky will know that the sun 
goes through changes, it changes its position in the sky as the seasons move along. And so as seen from North America, you'll see that in our summertime, the sun is far north in the sky. In the wintertime, it will sweep more towards the south. And this is what relegates the seasons, relegates the length of the day, the amount of heat, the temperatures we have. And of course, the people living in the Mesa Verde region were also well aware of this. So we know that Mesa Verde's ancient inhabitants, like all our ancestors around the world, were keen observers of the night sky. And they tracked the lunar cycles and travels of the stars in order to read the passage of the seasons, to know when to plant and harvest, and when to conduct ceremonies. People all over the world did this. If you listened to the previous episode, you'll likely recognize this voice. My name is Spencer Burke. I'm a park ranger at Mesa Verde National Park. And for the ancestral Pueblo people, they built buildings and landmarks that were used as calendars, as ways to help them read the sky. So for the ancestral Puebloan people, of course, they were very aware of these cycles in the sky and also aware of how the position of the sun gave them information about, say, how to plant crops. When is the right time to plant? When is the right time to harvest? By watching at the sun, you have this really important clue as to how the seasons turn, how these cycles repeat year after year after year. So the ancestral Pueblo people, from what we've seen from the you know, various places around the four corners around the American Southwest, is they were absolute masters, both at understanding these cycles, but also in using them in very visually beautiful ways. They were masters of making viewings of the sky, viewings of the sun by doing patterns with light and shadow. There are several places in the Mesa Verde, Four Corners, and Chaco regions that are currently known by non-Indigenous peoples to have contained these so-called calendars or viewings of the sun and sky. Possibly the most famous of these is located within Chaco Canyon in present-day New Mexico. So one of the most famous places that really illustrate how they did this is a place that is called the Sun Dagger, which is up on Fajada Butte in Chaco Canyon. This is a place very high up on, a, on the butte, you know, quite a climb up from the valley floor, where there are a couple of massive slabs of stone that have naturally slipped off the side of the mountain, but they make a little crack. And on a particular day, when the sun is at a particular part of its cycle. For a period of two hours, right around noon on the summer solstice. Where the sun is as far north as it will ever go, light will shine through this crack and fall on a wall behind it. So that the sun and shadow creates the form of a dagger across a spiral petroglyph carved into the sandstone wall. And on that wall, the ancestral Pueblo people have carved a little spiral so that it aligns perfectly with this dagger of light that will appear, move across, and slice through the spiral and then disappear only on that one day of the year. People were very precisely watching and tracking the sky in order to be able to create a calendar as precise as that using a spiral petroglyph and slabs of sandstone stacked against the wall. I mean, that's amazing to me. While this alignment or shadow play carries out in this particular way on the summer solstice each year, 
it appears that the alignment is useful at a few other significant times. That sun dagger, petroglyph as it's called in Chaco, also marks the spring and fall equinoxes when that dagger of light falls either to the right or the left of the center. In the midwinter, two daggers of light bracket the spiral. So it's a stunning visual and truly a meaningful visual to mark this day where the sun is at its culmination, at its most northward uh, place in its cycle. And again, this is something that we can see as one of the really beautiful examples of how they understood these cycles and noted them, made a mark where they could keep them, they could share them. That's an enormously sophisticated piece of (laughs) astronomical observation equipment, I would say. Due to the relatively isolated location of the sun dagger within Chaco, set high up on a butte above the villages below, archaeologists believe that the practice of sun watching was entrusted to perhaps a single individual within a community, or a religious group or society who maintained this knowledge. These people, or this individual, would likely track the movement of light across the spiral petroglyph and share their knowledge of the changing seasons, the appropriate times to begin planting and to begin harvesting. And these key benchmarks in the passage of time throughout the year also likely coincided with ceremonies, feasts, and celebrations central to the culture of the people. But it's not just this simple spatial observance that leads archaeologists to this theory. These places like Arichaco, Miso Verde, these house alignments with the sun and the moon, they were very, very important. And they're still honored and respected today. Something that we did not... um, lose or give up. We still continue to practice that today. This is Curtis. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Curtis Kwam. I work at the Al-Shawiyao Museum and the Heritage Center as the museum technician and culture educator. And I also am part of the Zuni Cultural Resource Advisory Team. Curtis belongs to the Eagle Clan. And I actually had the chance to chat with two folks from Zuni, Curtis and Octavius. My name is Octavius Seotua. I'm from Zuni. With the uh, Zuni Cultural Resource Advisory Team, I'm the supervisor for the team, and my clan is the Corn and uh, Cal at the Crane. Uh, glad to be on here. If you've listened to previous seasons of the podcast, you'll remember that there are dozens of cultural groups that trace their ancestry and cultural heritage back to lands in and around Mesa Verde, Chaco, and the Four Corners. One of these groups is the Zuni. Today, they live in western New Mexico, about 150 miles west of Albuquerque. Our history states that our people were migrating within the northern section of our ancestral lands. And uh, Mesa Verde is one of the stops, Chimney uh, Rock, Hovenweep, uh, and all the other places. Anytime that there's houses together, like a community setting, we're looking at those structures as being part of our history and our Zuni culture because uh, of um, our present history is, is the community lifestyle, people working close together and houses uh, being close together. Mesa Verde is also definitely an extension of our own village. Everything that needed to facilitate life uh, at Mesa Verde can be found here in Zuni. Um, as other ancestral homes that our ancestors passed through, um, as well as all these other um, Pueblo tribes, 
that we connect and affiliate with, um, that we have this shared understanding of history and our cultures um, mirror in some ways the lifestyle that uh, that they lived, like Octavius mentioned, uh, we continue today. And it's because of this cultural connection between the descendant groups and places like Chaco, Mesa Verde, and the Four Corners that archaeologists are able to further theorize that the practice of the sun dagger at Chaco would have been entrusted to certain individuals or religious societies within the larger community. Because even today within Zuni... Our head rain priest is in charge of uh, making all of our ceremonial calendar. And unfortunately, we do not have the rain priest of the West. He was actually in charge of all of our yearly activities with the movement of the uh, sun and the moon. And this individual, formerly the rain priest of the West, and today the head rain priest, is responsible for charting all yearly activities for the people, including times for ceremony. And different cycles like the planting cycle, the harvest cycle. As Octavia said, historically the person serving as the rain priest of the West tracked the movement of the sun and moon to determine these key times during the year. But because the last rain priest of the West passed away before passing down the information and traditions of their role to the next person in line, that information had disappeared. And so this responsibility has now been given to the head rain priest. And once the start of our year, our calendar year, everything comes in line with all of our ceremonies. And it goes all the way up to the end of our ceremonies in late December that uh, we start a new year. And these observances are still in line with what our ancestors had uh, observed and done. And following the same uh, idea and principle is what we're still doing today. One of the important things to definitely know is that this, it wasn't by accident. It wasn't by coincidence. It was a, uh, like Activist uh, has mentioned, a long understanding of how things worked and and how we're a part of the movement of descending away. From the Zuni perspective, places that contain these ancient alignments or markings on the landscape aren't just a means of convenience for the people. These places indicate a responsibility, a deep connection to the place and to the cosmos. Well, scientifically, we know that we're revolving around our sun but from a Zuni perspective, and I think other indigenous tribes can say this as well, our ancestry observed what we see today is when the sun rises and, and how it moves and maybe a special place in a, a house within an ancestral home or within our own villages, that these really important prominent areas was just an understanding of how everything fit into this really, really special and fragile place where we have that unique responsibility to be a conduit or to be a very important connection to the celestial beings and to our ancestry, this really important um, um, special temporal kind of understanding of time and space to where we, when we say our prayers, this is something that we didn't create. This was something that we were given. So I think understanding that these places like very Chaco, Mesa Verde, um, that these house alignments with uh, the sun and the moon, they were very, very important. And they're still honored and respected today. Uh, so it's something that we did not um, 
lose or give up. We still continue to practice that today. And one of the main reasons why you won't see us at Mesa Radio or Chakwa during these important solstice times is because we're home <laughs> um, in ceremony and observing those things that we've been taught over, over the years. The Sun Dagger at Chaco is a truly special and significant place, but it is not the only place in the ancestral Pueblo world that was used to track the passage of time using the sun. There are definitely also sun and shadow effects at Hovenweep at Holly House. Hovenweep National Monument is located in southeast Utah, about 55 miles west of Mesa Verde. And in fact, Hovenweep and Chaco Canyon are just two examples of the sun and shadow phenomena that we see at multiple sites all across the Southwest. We see places where natural patterns of sun and shadow have been noticed and used and made significant, made meaningful by ancestral Pueblo and other people in those areas. So it is working again in concert with the environment, with the stone, with the light. People take these environmental things and they give them meaning. Some of these special places containing sun markers and alignments are open to the public, and you can observe the shadow play that marks these significant solar events for yourself. The petroglyph panel within Holly House at Hovenweep, sometimes referred to as the solstice panel, is one of those places. Sadly, the sun dagger at Chaco is no longer accessible to the public. Unfortunately, it is not. It received so many visitors in the 10 or, 10 or so years after it was, it was rediscovered that um, the ground actually compacted under those stones and it slipped a little bit. So the sun dagger is not even visible anymore. It doesn't work anymore. And Fahadid Butte is strictly off limits. So so you can't go up there and even visit the site as it is. However, Chaco Canyon does contain alignments that correspond with two other important sun events during the year, the equinoxes. Chaco Canyon has equinox viewings of a east-west alignment that they have in the canyon, and so many people come for that. And there's actually a second solstice alignment in a different part of the canyon. The summer solstice at Chaco Canyon at um, Casarín Canada is also a place where they allow people to come and view the sunrise in that place as well. And so these sites are available throughout the Southwest. Throughout the world, you can find places where Monuments have been built to the sun in Mexico, in Egypt, certainly Stonehenge, but also other parts of the United Kingdom. There are many places that really speak to how universal it is that we look to the sun and people for thousands of years have found meaning by looking at the sky. If you do have the opportunity to visit one of these special places, whether it be during the time of an alignment or not, Please remember that these places are extremely important and sacred to the people who trace their ancestry back there today. Well, certainly to visit these places that are so special to the Pueblo people and so powerful for them and for us, I think you need to go with respect and with an open mind to experience what that place will give you. One of the things I would like to remind people is to remember the other half of the environment, remember the sky, whether you go in the daytime and feel the heat of the sun and see the shadows, the sun and the shadows, experience that as well. Don't just let it go by. Remember that people, when they lived there, 
full-time, they experience the sun full-time as well. If you're there and see a sunset, perhaps you're not standing in a place or a time where the sun does something particularly spectacular or you know, phenomenal, but you're experiencing the sunset in the same way that other people have experienced the sunset over millennia. So I think that remember that the sky has always been there to remember that perhaps we've lost our appreciation of the sun and the moon and the sky, to try to reconnect with that, to take these special places and use that as a reason and an excuse or a, an impetus to look back up the sky again. These places are very much alive to the descendants today, and they still make trips back to honor and communicate with their ancestors. Please tread lightly, leave no trace, and visit with respect. It's also kind of painful to come to an area that might have been really used as an observance or ceremony, and now it's being visited by all of these people coming in, not knowing the importance of why this place is there. We do leave an offering, that we do make sure that we tell our ancestors that we came back, we came back to honor you. We came back to give you nourishment, food. We, we came back as your children to observe, I mean, get that information of what is lacking within our history, to give us the information of how they lived, how they protected the land, how they survived in a way, in dreams or in other way, means to help us with their own words to protect this uh, place for perpetuity. And so that's what we pray for, is for, for them, our ancestors, to show us how they survived, how they lived, and so we can use that information to what we're doing right now, is, is to make people aware. I want people to know and understand the the importance of these places still for us today. Mesa Verde Voices is a production of KSJD Community Radio in Cortez, Colorado. It is created in collaboration with Mesa Verde National Park and the Mesa Verde Association. This season is made possible through a grant from Colorado Humanities and the National Endowment for the Humanities as part of the American Rescue Plan of 2021. Our show is produced and edited by me, Kayla Woodward, and we're mixed by Ken Petrosky. Our theme music is by David Morella. To learn more about the Zuni people, they invite you to come and learn directly from them at Zuni. Visit Oshawi Awan Museum and Heritage Center in Zuni, New Mexico to find exhibits and programs telling the story of the Zuni, past, present, and future. You can find information about celebrations and feast days that are open to the public, as well as current visitation guidelines by visiting oshawi-museum.org. That's A-S-H-W-I-Museum.org. Or search Oshawi Awan Museum and Heritage Center on Facebook. For more information about Chaco and the Sun Dagger, visit the Chaco Culture National Historical Park website. That's nps.gov forward slash chcu. If you plan to visit Chaco, be sure to check their website for current travel conditions as the park road is prone to washouts. 
For more information about Dark Skies at Mesa Verde National Park, visit nps.gov forward slash M-E-V-E. And follow Mesa Verde National Park on Facebook and Instagram for up-to-date information about park hours and road and trail closings. You can also find links to all these pages on our website, mesaverdevoices.org. Special thanks to Ravis Henry, Octavia Sayatua, Curtis Quam, Dr. Erica Ellingson, and Ranger Spencer Burke for sharing your wisdom and insights with us. And thank you to Betty Maya Foote for your help with additional research for this episode. Be sure to subscribe to our show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to stay up to date when new episodes release. And while you're there, leave us a review. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening.